Well, good morning. Wow, it sounds like I'm in for a good one today. You guys are alive and alert. I like that a lot. Uh, I just want to uh, talk about two things before I get in the sermon. One is this, our daily bread. If you have not developed a discipline in your life of spending a few minutes with the Lord at the start of your day, uh, you would be wise to. I was reading something last night about stress and anxiety in Time Magazine, and it said that you uh, ought not to jump up in the morning, jump in the shower, run out, grab a cup of coffee, get in the car and go crazy with road rage on your way to work, that you ought to, you ought to get up and just sit there for a while and be calm. And then you ought to stand in the shower for an extra 30 seconds and let warm water all over your body. And then you ought to make time so you can drive slowly to work. And I was thinking, yeah, but it works a lot better. And, you know, that take about an extra seven minutes out of your day. Um, but it works a lot better when you spend about 20 minutes with the Lord. And you can do this the Jesus light way by just reading what's writ right here and a little verse of scripture. Or you can get serious and, and you can read through the Bible in one year by reading what they, they put right down here with your Bible. And uh, I promise you I've been doing this since I was 15 years old and it will change your life in some drastically wonderful ways. I want to ask you to pray for me. Uh, right now, that I will be not here next week, that I will be preaching on DVD from next Saturday night service next Sunday morning, and I'll miss the following week and then be back after that. And why I need you to pray is that my passport right now is in Washington, D.C., in the office of the Embassy of the Ivory Coast, which is a nation that has just come through civil war, so I don't imagine things are real organized. Um, I set this trip up over a year ago, and, you know, it's really ultimately my responsibility. I should check these things out. But I kind of depend on my host to tell me what's going on, and nobody bothered to tell me that I needed a visa for the Ivory Coast. Don't need it for South Africa. Uh, I'm going there. What I found is that these little tiny third-rate nations uh, want your 200 bucks. But they make you fill out forms as if you were a terrorist. Uh, it's just amazing what I had to do. I only accidentally discovered on Tuesday that I needed a visa. And so Tuesday, I was running around like a madman, filling out forms and then, and then getting them all in together with my passport and a copy of my, my inoculations record and all that. And uh, the company that I'm dealing with in D.C. is really good. They sent me on Thursday a notice. We've processed your papers. Friday, they sent me a notice. We took your papers to the embassy. But it takes two days for FedEx to get it back. So... If some lady gets sick in that embassy on, and doesn't show up for work, uh, I, the, and, and here's what's at risk, is Mission Hope loses some money, uh, but what's worse at risk is the hopes of the people in Africa and the monies that they've spent that they don't have putting this thing together on their end of it, it's, it would be a, a real tragedy. And so um, I want us to pray right now. I, I'm, I'm looking for all the prayer I can get. Uh, Lord, we, we feel privileged that you've given our church um, such a voice in the world. Lord, that we were able, I mean, it's been 10 years since we've checked, and we know that there's 700 plus Hope Chapels, there may be 1,000 by now, uh, that were started because we discipled some people who discipled some people who discipled some people who discipled some people. And we, we thank you for that. But because of that now, I've been getting these invitations to go out into other groups and try to spark young men and young women into thinking, believing that they could start not just a church, but a movement. Uh, Lord, we, we want to be multipliers, not of churches, but of movements. And this is an opportunity. Uh, I mean, 
it's, it's very ripe in both these countries. Wonderful things are there. And we, we know that Satan is opposing this, and we pray, Lord, that you would intervene, that, 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 that I would have that passport by Wednesday or Thursday in my hands with the visa in it, and, um, and that this trip would go as planned. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The message is called Family Matters. You know, we all come from families, and uh, sometimes our families work really well, and sometimes our families are a little bit dysfunctional, and uh, same is true with church families. Sometimes church families are dysfunctional, sometimes church families are healthy. We're going to end up talking about one that was dysfunctional and how to not be dysfunctional before we're done, but you know, the Bible says in the Old Testament that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and here's what I've found. That, that some of my closest relationships in my whole life are sitting in this room. Closer to me than I've been to my family as an adult are people who are sitting in this room. Uh, people that I know that would probably lay down their life for me and I for them. Uh, the, the, our church family counts for something. And so we're going to talk about that today. And... Um, uh, the, the text is kind of a disciplinary text. Paul really kind of scolds these people, and it's a problem we don't have at all. But it makes a point, and it, it'll make a point kind of both ways, where a church gets too loosey-goosey, or a church gets too uptight, and we want to talk about that. But before we do that, I want to uh, share with you some funny church signs, and this has really not very much to do with the sermon. Just take a look at these. I think you'll, you'll get a, a laugh out. Look at the bald head up there. Um, that is not the church sign. That is a map of the Mediterranean. Okay. You may party in hell, but you will be the barbecue. Next one. Keep using my name in vain, and I'll make rush hour longer. God. Next one. There are questions, some questions that can't be answered by Google. God. Next one. Honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him. Next one. Thou shalt not steal copper from the AC unit. You know, that's actually happened to us. We were storing some AC units on our property, and somebody came and ripped the copper out of it. Next one. Uh, read the Bible. It's user-friendly. Plus, we offer tech support here on Sundays. Next one. Church parking. Trespassers will be baptized. Next one. Whoever is praying for snow, please stop. Next one. Next one. To be almost saved is to be totally lost. Next one. How do we make holy water? We boil the hell out of it. Next one. What is missing from ch ch you are? Next one. Every day above ground is a good one. Good, huh? Uh, that, that what's missing from ch ch you are. Is, uh, is actually a sign in my neighborhood where I just moved. There's a church out there that put that up on their deal, so it's interesting. Well, anyway, we want to talk about our church. And, and uh, the scripture in the Old Testament that says that, that passion for your house has consumed me. You know, the question that we would ask is how, how passionate are you about your church and its health and its welfare and, and the way that we do things, the way that we conduct our business and and, and all of that. But as we get into this, I, 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 I want to just talk a little bit from a secular standpoint about the value of church. I mean, you all have different values that you place on your relationship with Hope Chapel. Uh, I was talking to somebody last night, and 
their daughter had had, had a, a background in drugs and alcohol, and and she actually may be watching this service online. But she uh, she found the Lord in our church, and and she really really got solid. And then she got married, and she's moved to another state, and she's back there, and she's struggling with every church that she goes to. And the 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 interesting thing her her mother said to me last night. She goes, I I just told her you're not going to find another Hope Chapel. And there is something that's unique about our church. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but most large churches do not do small groups the way we do them. Uh, if they do small groups, they're intellectually oriented. It's, it's a class. It's like going to university. They don't do, we get together and talk about how the sermon interacted with our life. And then because you do that, you start to really interact with each other. And then you end up loving on each other and you end up praying for each other and you see the miraculous. And we think that's the thing that sets us apart so, so much. As, uh, and, and, and this seems to bear that out. This is from Time Magazine, November the 11th, 2011. It's, a, it's an article called Religious Folks Have a Sunnier Outlook. It's written by a woman named Meredith Melnick. It says, in the latest study to link church going with well-being, Researchers find that people who attend religious services regularly are more optimistic and less depressed than non-religious peers. Previous research has suggested that people who attend church services are also happier, more satisfied, and get this one, they live longer too. Then it says, on the other hand, they tend to be fatter. The new study published in the Journal of Religion and Health included data on 93,000 middle-aged women who participated in a long-running women's health initiative. Now, this study was done on women because it wasn't a church study. It was a study on women's health. That's why it only dealt with women. Uh, they're not like hating us men or anything like that. It's just it, it wasn't anything about church, but church got included in the study. Uh, led by Eleazar Schnell, an associate professor of clinical psychology at Yeshiva University, New York, uh, a Jewish university in New York City. Researchers found that women who attended religious services at least once a week were 56% more likely to score above average on a survey of optimism than non-religious women. They were also 22% less likely to be depressed. Using data from the Faith Matters study, a different study, a survey of U.S. adults conducted in 2006 and 7, Dr. Lim and his colleagues found that 33% of those who attended religious services every week and reported, watch this, reported having close friends at church. And that's the key, reported having close friends at church. Said they were extremely satisfied with their lives. While only 19% of those who went to church but had no close connections to the congregation reported the same satisfaction. Get hooked up. Get hooked up. If you're not hooked up, get hooked up. You know that thing up there that said you want to get involved serving? We found out in our church that the, the one thing that will make you friends faster than mini church is, to, is to, to do a task, to get involved serving the Lord, doing something. If you got to the connect thing, and say, I want to get hooked up, uh, they'll hook you up. They'll find a place for you to fit. If you talk to Rob McWilliams, or you come to our equip meetings once a quarter, uh, then the other things that you do, what, what's the other one that you, everyone plays. 
you come to those deals, they'll hook you up. But when, when you're out serving, I mean, those of you that worked on the, on the new building uh, the and come here and volunteered, you made friends. And, and some of those people will be friends for life. Some of my, my really wonderful friends, close friends in my life, I made while we built this property. And we were up here uh, putting all those blocks in place and, and planting the hillside and doing all the things that we did. It was just uh, those friendships are, 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 are incredible, but they come through partnering together and getting connected. Um, indeed, the new study also found that regular, atten regular attendees of religious services were 28% more likely to report having positive social support than people who didn't practice religion. One of the things that you get out of a church is a support network. When you get sick and you need somebody to care for you or you got to move and you need somebody to help you move. You should have seen when I moved a month and a half ago. Uh, there were like 18 guys showed up with about 14 pickup trucks and we moved a whole household in two hours flat. Everything was gone. I couldn't believe it. And, and then when everybody's done, we're all kind of eating lunch. Three of the guys are outside reorganizing my brand new garage for me. I, it, it was just, I was blown away by just the support that friends bring to you. Goes on, says, maybe it's socializing that helps explain why religious people may live longer and why they tend to gain more weight. Those church socials involve a lot of eating. And if you come to our mini church, it is chow time, I'm here to tell you. It's not clear whether regular trips to a house of worship would benefit younger folks or men equally. Obviously it is. But in general, religious practice is known to ease anxiety and encourage a more positive worldview. Pretty good, huh? But on the other hand, churches can be toxic. And they can be toxic in two directions. A, a, a church that begins to, to, to elevate its leadership tends to, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. If we tend to give too much power to one person, uh, we tend to corrupt that person. And what we find is churches like that tend to get very rulesy, very heavy-handed, very negative. You've all heard of the Jesus movement? You know, the revival that hit America in the 1970s? Sociologists tell us, non-Christian sociologists, that America was born because of a religious revival in England, and the people who are the most excited about God because the Church of England was so oppressive that actually you could get killed for not showing up in church on a regular basis at a Church of England church. If you went to a Methodist church or something like that, your life literally was in danger. I've read the history. And so uh, the pilgrims came to escape all of that. The Puritans came because they just got disgusted. They tried the word Puritan. They tried to purify the Church of England. They got disgusted, so they moved over to set up this new country that was going to be a city set up on a hill with light shining for all the world to see. That was their goal. Uh, and, and so we were born in revival. And every four generations in our history, we've had a major religious revival that has brought America back from the brink of violence and sexual sin and all kinds of things, except the last revival, they said, only sort of halfway went off. That at the same time that there was a spiritual awakening in America that we called the Jesus Movement in the 1970s, there was the, the rise of the New Age thing. And, and, and there's been a tussle ever since. And if you stop and think about it, this is probably why the nation is so politically divided today, almost in half. Uh, you, you've got New Age thinking on one side, you've got Christian thinking on, on the other side, and you've got the religious right, which takes Christian thinking to the point that I'm talking about, 
where it becomes rulesy and heavy-handed and nasty and all of that, and there's no balance there. And am I making sense when I say this? And so we want to be careful that we don't fall into either of those traps. When the Jesus movement got started, how it, it, how it started was uh, God started working in the hearts of a bunch of kids in Southern California, especially the big miracle that was happening is that people were getting delivered from addiction to drugs uh, in, in miraculous ways. I mean, it was the thing that we saw all the time. It was commonplace. Uh, we, we, we saw healings when we would pray for people, but we didn't see healings when we prayed for people near as much as we saw deliverance from drugs when we prayed for people. Twice in my life, only twice, but twice in my wife, life, I've watched somebody stoned out of their brain on heroin. We prayed for them, and they were completely sober and sane in an instant. It happened. It was amazing. But when it all happened, there were two real hot spots that were going. We hadn't started our church yet. And there was a magazine called Look. It was like People Magazine today. It went out of business before Life Magazine went out of business. But it was the same deal, kind of the world in pictures. And Look Magazine did an article about this revival in Southern California. And they focused on two churches, one healthy and one not healthy, although they thought they were both healthy. Uh, one was called Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California, which eventually grew to 20,000 people. And all the Calvary chapels in Hawaii came from that church. Um, and they were baptizing in the ocean, which was a big deal. There's a bunch of hippies coming to church. They had a building that would hold, uh, when the article was done, they had a building that would hold 350 people. They had 2,000 people coming to church. They'd have to sit outside and look in the windows. It was, it was wonderful what was going on. The other was a little church in Redondo Beach, California, right next to where we started our church. And this church was um, very negative. They told the people what you could do every night of the week. Uh, you had one night that you were required to stay home with your family and rest. Every other night they had some assignment for you. Plus you do your 40-hour-a-week job. If you decided to leave the church for any reason, you have lost your salvation, including if you got a job offer in Omaha and had to move across the country, they told you that you had lost your salvation. Uh, we work as, as a new church constantly getting people uh, who would leave that church because of the oppression and come to our church. So they named us Hippity Hoppity Hope. Um, and, and, but it got ugly. It got very ugly. And, 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 and this is how ugly it can get when a church gets toxic. They, they had these halfway houses for people coming out of drugs. But then they, they, were, they were oppressive. You couldn't ask a girl on a date without the pastor's permission. Um, you couldn't do anything without the pastor's permission. People, one, one guy left one of those houses, came to our church, was there for a while. There was a girl who wanted to move out of one of those houses. He went over to help her move. The pastor's bodyguard, since when do pastors need bodyguards? The pastor's bodyguard beat him bloody in front of a whole bunch of people from that church. And the guy, I mean, it was an amazing guy. He just stood there and let the guy hit him. And he kept going, this is the fruit of this church. This is the fruit of your ministry. This is what your church is all about. While the guy's going, psh, psh, psh. and he came into my house, and, and, and he was really severely injured. He was just a bloody wreck of a mess. And a bunch of people left the church. The, 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 the longer story, uh, the pastor's sister ended up in our church after he put a shotgun in his mouth and did what you do when you put a shotgun in your mouth. The pastor's bodyguard became the new pastor. Um, in one sermon, he did illustrated sermons. In one sermon, he brought a deer rifle to church and, and shot a hole in the roof of the church. Uh, I mean, intended to scare people. I mean, th th this really happened. 
This really happened. In another sermon, he took an axe and chopped up the pulpit. Uh, to me, that's just designed to in intimidate people. That church obviously no longer exists today. That's a very, very extreme story of a toxic church. But we also all know churches that are far less extreme than that, but that are legalistic and that are domineering and that everybody worships the pastor, and that's wrong. Am I making sense? That's totally dysfunctional. On the other hand, you got churches that are so loosey-goosey about everything that they don't stand for anything. You know, whatever way the wind blows, they blow. And we're seeing all this stuff about ordaining uh, gay people, or ordaining people who are living together and, and they're not married to each other, and, 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 and things that, that the Bible clearly stands against. Uh, you know, there's, there's this flap right now with um, the administration and the Catholic Church over forcing people to, to buy medical insurance that would uh, provide the morning after pill and stuff like that. Uh, and, 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 and there's people who just kind of want to just let that go, you know, whatever happens. Well, that becomes toxic as well. And so we want to find a place of balance. And here's a scripture that actually, it starts out kind of really chewing some people out, but then it presents balance in the end. And it's in 1 Corinthians 5. And it first talks about a bad reaction to sin in God's family. In other words, there was sin in the church, and the church reacted badly toward it. Paul is writing, and he says to the church at Corinth, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. Something that was illegal in the Roman Empire was going on in the church. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. That's called incest. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. Here's the church at Corinth. And they are in the point where some guy is openly sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmother. And the church is going, aren't we wonderful? Aren't we loving? Aren't we gracious? Aren't we special that we just tolerate this kind of behavior and, and it's just fine with us? Well, Paul goes on, he says, even though I am not with you in person, in verse 3, I am with you in the spirit as though I were there. I have already passed judgment on this man. Now, interesting, the Bible says, judge not, lest you be judged. Now, then it also says, judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So, in other words, I shouldn't just be a critical, old, snotty person. But on the other hand, I should make righteous decisions. And judge not, lest you be judged. If I'm making decisions according to the word of God, well, then I can stand up to being judged according to the word of God if I'm living a godly life. I'll look at your life, you look at my life. That's fine. That's fair. And, and, but the standard is not your flimsy feelings or my flimsy feelings. It's God's word. Am I living my life according to the word of God or am I not? See, one thing about a church that makes it functional or dysfunctional is, is it biblical? It's not biblical to raise a church leader up and to somehow worship him. That's what we've been reading about for the last three weeks in Corinthians. And churches that, oh, our pastor is, is are, 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 are on the way downhill. They may be growing, but they're on the way downhill. It's going to happen. And so he says, even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in the spirit, and even, though I, I, even as though I were there. 
I've already passed judgment in this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church, and I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. And then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Now, let's read this very harsh sentence, and let's really read it, and we find out it's not so harsh. It says, you must throw this man out. Number one. Number two, you must hand him over to Satan. Whoa! Hand him over to Satan. Number three, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed. And number four, he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Throw him out. Hand him over to Satan. We've done this. Within the last two years, we don't make a public thing of it unless it's very public. Uh, we try to make things as as privately as they can be private. But we had to deal with somebody who made unwanted, aggressive sexual behavior toward another person. Aggressive sexual behavior. Uh, if I told you what happened, uh, it, it would totally gross you out. And so we had to ask this person to leave our church. And, and um, unfortunately, they'd just gone to another church, told lies. Uh, some people know the truth, some people know the lies. The other church is basically going, well, we're so loving, we just accept this person the way he is. And, it, and, and honestly, if the whole congregation understood what went on, uh, they would want him out of there too. But Paul is saying this in a positive way. Throw the guy out and hand him over to Satan. So we've done this in the past. We throw the guy out, we pray, and we hand him over to Satan. You're, the person is no longer under the spiritual protection and covering of this church Satan, he's yours. What happens? Well, usually what happens is whatever it is that they're into, they get more of it. The devil just has his field day in their life. And the end result is, at least the goal, is that they bounce. That they hit bottom faster. If they're into drugs, they get more drugs. If they're into sex, they, it, it becomes more available. They, 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 they're into alcohol, they get further into it. And then, you know, anybody that works with, with people that have got dependencies is going to tell you that, 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 that people have to hit bottom before they can ever start to come back up. And so Paul's here saying, take the protection of the church away from the person, take the fellowship of the church away from the person, hoping that they will bounce and they will come back. Am I making sense? And actually, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul then says to these people, it's, a, it's another letter written a year or so later, hey, lighten up. The guy repented. Let him back in. Because uh, the church is still, you know, being starchy. And Paul's got to say, let, let him back. Because it worked. And it does work. I can remember a time in California, there was a man in our church. He was a very, very likable man. Uh, but he was an alcoholic. And um, you know what? Alcoholics are welcome in Hope Chapel, and drug addicts are welcome in Hope Chapel. If you've got sin problems in your life, you're welcome in Hope Chapel. Here's, here's our stance. If you're on your way into the Lord, we will tolerate anything. If you know the Lord and you are turning your back and you're living in rebellion, then, then look out because we take these things seriously. And, you know, Ernie Hunt, who runs our drug and alcohol treatment programs, sat in that chair right there, every, every, when we were at Ben Parker School, for 10 years, drunk every single Sunday. And every single Sunday praying that the Lord would take the alcohol out of his life. He was my favorite member 
It made me feel so satisfied that a guy like that would find love in Hope Chapel. But if Ernie went on a bender today and threw his wife over or started beating her up or something, it would be a whole other story. Ernie, one day, he just woke up, he bottomed. He hit bottom, and he prayed, God, I, I, I'm done. I, I, and he never took another drink in his life. It's been, uh, I don't know how many years, 11, 12 years now, something like that. And uh, it just, just, just one day, it was over after, after years. I've known Ernie since before I started this church. I knew Ernie when I lived in California, and he was in a little church we'd started, in, and he was an alcoholic at, in his early 20s. And I, I, I just watched the Lord transform this man. But there was a guy in our church in California when I was in Hermosa Beach that was an alcoholic uh, and beaten his wife when he'd get drunk. And so we confronted him on several times. Actually, I think a couple of men of the church might have threatened him, uh, like break your legs or stuff like that. Uh, nothing seemed to work. And so one day at the top of the stairs of the church, there was a bunch of people gathered around. He came up the steps and, uh, and I just confronted him, and I said, look, um, you're forcing me to ask you to leave this church, and I don't want to do it. And I go, uh, you know, we'll pray with you. We'll, we'll try to walk you through the alcohol, but you've got to lay your hands off your wife, uh, or, 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 or you've got to walk back down those stairs, and, uh, and, and, and you're out of the church. And I go, it's your decision. I always try to put it on the other person so they feel responsible. And he, just, he got angry at me, he cussed at me, he turned around and he walked out. And I never saw him again for about four years. And we were still a small enough church at that time, and campgrounds in California are large enough that we had an all-church retreat in a campground at the mountains. And there's like, we probably had 1,400 people in church, there were about 700 people at the retreat. And I'm preaching, and this guy walks in the door. And it's like, oh no. Because in those days, I mean, in the Jesus movement, we had everything you could imagine. I, I had some guy that God told him he was supposed to take over and be the pastor of the church. And he showed up uh, with a guitar. You know how Johnny Cash used to come out with his guitar upside down over his back? This guy shows up in church with a guitar like that. He's a big guy, and he's going to take over and be the pastor of Hope Chapel. Uh, I had John the Baptist show up one night and announce to us all that he was the father of Jesus through the Immaculate Conception. Um, I mean, if, you, if they were a nut, they showed up at Hope Chapel. It was, it was crazy. So I'm scared. This guy walks in the back door. I'm preaching, and it's like, oh, no. And then he loudly says, I want to say something to everybody here. And now I'm going, oh, my gosh. And see, I had learned, don't cut people off like this, because if I just cut them off and the ushers go throw them out the door, then half the church gets mad at me for being too much a hard guy. So my deal was always let them talk, and then let's deal with whatever it is that they say. Well, here's what he had to say. Four years ago, Pastor Ralph kicked me out of this church, and it worked. It worked. And I'm clean. I'm sober. His wife was with him. I'm still married to the same woman. It worked. I'm involved in this church. I'm an elder in this church. I mean, it works. It sounds severe, but it works. And it creates health in the church. It preserves health in the church. Um, I have some companion scriptures. I'm not going to read them. I'm, I've already preached longer than that clock says I'm supposed to. Uh, verse 6 says this. Your boasting about this is terrible. They're actually boasting 
about the fact that a guy was committing incest in their church and they were so liberal as to allow him to do it. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. You let a little of this go on, you're going to have a lot of this go on. It's going to mess up you, your kids in all kinds of ways. Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us, so let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Now, while this talk about yeast and the Passover and all that, you know, Christ, the Passover was to celebrate when the people had left Egypt and the angel of death had come through the camp and killed all of these people in Egypt, but it spared the, the, the people of Israel. And they were to celebrate this Passover feast by killing a lamb, roasting it, eating it, barbecuing it, eating it. And they were to, to eat unleavened bread, which is crackers. You know, it doesn't have yeast, it doesn't rise. And the whole idea was symbolic that the leaven in the bread suggested sin. And they were to eat unleavened bread because the Passover lamb was without sin, all that. Are you with me? And nothing wrong with eating bread with yeast in it. It's just that it was, a, it was a religious symbol to them, and so he's using it as a symbol. And he's saying, this wicked person is like yeast and dough, and, and he will permeate everything if you go on. So don't give that person and that sin room to grow. It's contagious. It will grow. Verse 9, when I wrote you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. This means if the church asks somebody to leave because of some sexual sin or some other thing, then you shouldn't go out to lunch with them. You know, there, there's always that thing of they want to go out to lunch, and, and this person that I told you that we had to deal with within the last two years is, is, is taking people from our church out to lunch and just feeding them lies. And uh, if we hear about it, we go and we tell them sort of what happened. We won't even reveal the total extent of what happened because it's so gross. But we tell them sort of what happened, and then they understand. But So it says, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Um, but I wasn't talking about, now listen to this, verse 10. I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or to cheat people or worship idols. You'd have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, is greedy, worships idols, is abusive, a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. God will judge those on the outside. You know something? I think when God judges, he judges with fury, but he also judges with grace. He'll judge those on the outside. So here's the deal. On the one hand, you can be a dysfunctional church that's so loose and liberal that you don't care about sin, and sin ends up permeating your midst, and you become horribly dysfunctional because people, you know, I've known churches. I, 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 I was in a church where, uh, the, I wasn't in a church. I, I, I knew of two pastors. They made a pact. They both quit their churches with their mistresses on the same day and moved to Arizona and started a new church. And one of the churches was a, quite a large church 
Within five months, 12 divorces took place. There were 12 marriages that were hanging on because the pastor's marriage was holding together and people were coming to church, being fed by the pastor and believing I should tough it out until I make it through the other side and make my marriage work. And when the pastor blew a tire, they all blew a tire and, 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 and that was sick. Pretty sad story, huh? Gets worse. Both of them, both of those men died within freak acts with with freak accidents within six months. Uh, uh, one injured himself, got infected, died from that. The other was driving across a bridge on a sunny day in Arizona, and there was rain in the mountains, and there was a flash flood that took the bridge and the car out like that, and he was gone. I think God judged him. But the scripture, on the other hand, it says we should judge inside the house of God, and we should be pure. On the other hand, it goes over here, and it says... We should not judge outsiders. One of the problems that I have with Christianity in general today is that we've politicized faith and we've come to the point where we're, we're the, half the church is pointing fingers at non-Christian people because they act like non-Christian people. I mean, if you're not a Christian, you're not going to act like a Christian. And so we shouldn't be trying to control your behavior. We should be trying to love you and introduce you to Jesus Christ. And Paul says, don't judge outsiders. What do I have to do with judging outsiders? You have to leave the whole world to do that, uh, you, you know, to avoid outsiders. Love the outsiders. You know, one, one of the areas where I think that we could be stronger as a church, because I think we're quite a healthy church and quite a strong church, but one of the areas where we could be stronger as a church is if, if we made it a point, every one of us, to, to, to have some non-Christian friends. Some non-Christian friends that are friends enough that they, they got refrigerator privileges at your house, you know? Uh, I've moved to a new neighborhood, and, 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 and I, I, I'm, I'm really working on making friends with my new neighbors. I want to be able to share the Lord with them. And, and some of them party hardy. I mean, they really do it up. And, but I drive by, you'd think I was the president. They're out there, I mean... Good night. These guys are out there every night. They're young families. And it's like, I don't know how you can afford to make your house payments and buy that much beer. <laughs> and they're out there every night. And, 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 and they got all their friends. And, and, and we, one day we were walking down the street. We just introduced ourselves and made friends. And, and we're old. And they're young, you know. And, and so they call me sir and stuff like that, you know. And, and, I, and I always, when I drive by, I, I roll the window down, I wave, everybody, hi, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's fun. It's fun. It's, it's I, I, you know, I used to pay somebody to do my lawn. Uh, I, I have a very small yard, and so this afternoon I'm going out to buy a lawnmower. I, I need the exercise. And, and, uh, uh, one, my next door neighbor already, young guy, came over and, and said, you know, if you need to hire somebody to do your lawn, I know somebody to hire. And, and actually, I had hired somebody else, but it, it didn't work out. They don't have the time to do it. So I'm going to do it. But part of why I want to do it is because it's going to put me outdoors with those guys more. And, and I, we, we, we shouldn't be judging outsiders. We want to be healthy. We should be, we should be liberal toward outsiders, but we should be very, very serious about what goes on inside. Am I making sense? Well, I'm done. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our church. We thank you for the relationships we have. We pray for our church. We pray that you'll keep us healthy. We pray that you'll keep our leadership healthy. We pray that you'll keep us balanced in all ways. And we pray that we will grow so that we can touch this community. 
Lord, we, we are building some buildings. We expect to build an auditorium that will hold 700 people. Uh, we believe that would allow our church with all of our services to grow to 5,000 people. And we think Kaneohe would be better off for it. Lord, help us to grow. Help us, the, the new leadership, as Carl is kind of assuming the role of lead pastor and all the, the, the ideas and the vision that's there. Lord, just, just bless us. Just continue to bless our church. Help us to be a light in the community. Help us not to stray to, to, the, to the side of, 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 of shilly-shally. Help us not to stray to the side of legalism. Help us to stay in balance and to be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. I want you to keep your eyes closed for just a minute longer. And if people in this room um, would like to know the Lord, uh, the only way you can get to know the Lord is by inviting you into your life. As you pray, he answers. And I would like to lead you in a prayer to invite the Lord into your life. I'll put the words in your mouth. I'll pray out loud. You pray silently, but you pray with me. But I only want to pray if there's people who want to pray with me. And so if you want to pray and invite the Lord into your life, uh, the people around you have their eyes closed, but mine are open. I want you to tell me that we're going to pray together. By When I count to three, you raise your hand. One, two, three. And this is one of those days when nobody raised their hand, but I want to tell you something. I talked to somebody this morning. He said, I was absolutely shocked because last night I preached this sermon because this is a fairly hard sermon, right? And a whole bunch of people accepted the Lord at the end of the service. Uh, people want to believe in something that's worth believing in. Don't you think so? Anyway, I'm done. God bless you all.